ZDog MD, Vinay Prasad, VP. Welcome back to the show, brother. It's good to be back. It's good to uh, be able to talk face to face with somebody. I, I anybody, know. Anybody, but especially you. Especially, uh, especially you. you. <laughs> Both of us have gotten series one of the vaccine. That's right. And so we're on our way to at least purported immunity. So that's exciting. But, you know, you wrote a piece. So yes. this is, this is I, you did a piece in MedPage. But every piece you do in MedPage, I read it with a mix of horror that somebody is that smart and it's not me. <laughs> and I'm je and jealousy, envy, and then just like, I'm clapping, right? Like, cause it's awesome. So the piece you did in MedPage basically more or less said, listen, the public messaging around vaccination is once you get vaccinated, you still need to wear a mask and you still need to social distance. You still need to all this. And when I first heard that messaging, I was like, that's nonsense. You want people <clears throat> not to vaccinate? Tell them that. It's also not true, I don't think. Okay. And you wrote that basically more or less. And so t tell me what your position is on this. Yeah. Um, so I guess it was it was great fun to do this because it was a pair of dueling op-eds. You know, that's the thing we can still do today, which is have like two people who've looked at the same evidence, who have different expertise. Um, um, different points of view, um, making two different cases. And so my colleague, David Aronoff, who's an infectious disease doctor in Vanderbilt, he made the case for what you're saying, which is that even after vaccination, you know, you ought to keep up with those interventions just as you kept up with before. Um, I made a different case. My case is you get two vaccines, you go 14 additional days of asymptomatic period, and I think you're allowed some concession. And I make that argument of the piece. By some concession, I mean that concession might be that in a situation where you were going to wear a cloth mask, you might not wear it. The concession might be something different. It might be you have a dinner party with three or four people, all people who have been vaccinated. The concession might be you go meet your mother, your older mother, um, and, and give her a hug. Um, different people have different things they've been craving. And I'm happy to go through the data for as to why I hold my position, which is that vaccination is a protective thing. And after some period of time after vaccination, you know, you ought to be allowed some concession. So I, I think you nailed it and I will go through the data. Sure. I think that's important. But this, this is what this is what I think about this. Exactly the same thing. You got vaccinated. I did. This thing is not, you know, the 95% efficacious after the second shot. And like you said, 14 days because that's when the maximum immunogenicity in the trials. And at that point to tell people, look, don't go see Look, 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 my, both my parents, elderly, Central Valley, it's going right. to be a minute before they can get vaccinated because you know, the rollout is a disaster. I've heard, I've heard, yeah. And, but I haven't seen them in a year. And the thing <clears> is, they're not, you know, they're, they, I want to see my parents. Uh, of course you do. Once I get my second shot, February 3rd, and I wait enough time, I'm going to go see my parents. And they're cool with that. They're both doctors. They understand risk. It's not zero you can't make zero risk. There's no such thing as zero right, risk. And right. I think that's a fallacy that a lot of people don't uh, appreciate is that there is no zero risk. It's possible that even after everybody who we could possibly vaccinate is vaccinated, there still may be some outbreaks of SARS-CoV-2. Um, we may never be done with this virus. Are we to uh, forever have these restrictions, which is a whole nother conversation, which yeah. is like, you know, what does it mean getting back to normal? And the faction of people say we'll never be normal again and whether or not that's true. But let me just run through this data real quick yeah, because yeah. I think people will want to hear. Um, I guess I base my argument in, in a, on, a, on a few strings of data, a few, three threads. Uh, one is that I think 95% is the wrong percentage to hang on to when it comes to these vaccine trials. In my piece, I argue that the right thing to look at is if you have been vaccinated two doses and if 14 days after that, you remained asymptomatic, what is the probability that you then get COVID from that moment in time until the end of the study? Not from when you enrolled in the study because a bunch of people got COVID between first and second dose. Right. And the answer to that question is in Pfizer, there's a 99.95% chance you won't get COVID. And in Moderna, 99.92. Not 100%, uh, not, yeah. not zero, but 
pretty dang close. The next question is, what is the probability you get severe COVID? Uh, severe COVID requires hospitalization. And the answer is zero cases in the Moderna study out of about 14,000 people, one case in the Pfizer study, and, and there's some question marks there. Mm. Um, the probability of getting severe COVID in the control arm of Moderna is 30 people. So already I'm showing you symptomatic COVID, it's way down. Um, uh, severe COVID, almost gone. Now, what about asymptomatic carriage? Right. So we don't know asymptomatic carriage 14 days after, but we do know dose two. Dose two in Moderna, we swab participants, and there was a 60% reduction, approximately 60% reduction in asymptomatic detection of PCR positivity of, of SARS-CoV-2. And the absolute rate of that detection was about one in a thousand, um, which is pretty low. And, and that doesn't necessarily mean, well, okay, so let me put these three things together. The three things together means, you know, you have good immunity against symptomatic COVID. You have exquisite immunity against severe COVID. You're less likely to be carrying the virus. Um, and we know from the monoclonal antibody studies that very likely when you are in contact with the virus, your body's going to mobilize antibodies, neutralize it faster, clear the respiratory passages much quicker. All these things put together tell the story that you will be less infectious, dramatically less infectious, less of a threat to others after vaccination. Of course, no surprise. That's why we're vaccinating, right? That's the whole point. Right. And the data bears it out. Right. What you said about asymptomatic carriage is important because right. a lot of people are like, well, you know, like, you know, Fauci's messaging as well. You know, you can still be an asymptomatic carrier because the trials were really mostly powered to look at symptomatic cases. Right. And we don't know about asymptomatic, but in Moderna, they <clears throat> did look at that after second dose. And like you said, 60% reduction. And even then we could just say how much, if we just swab the entire population, how much just is sitting around, how transmissible is it? So how much does it matter? Now, at some point, you just have to say, human beings need to be together. They need to get back into the economy. We need to open our schools. We needed to open our schools yes, already. That's, that, and that's oh, another yes. conversation. Oh, yes. So the vaccine is our clear path yes. out of this. And yet we're acting like we're hedging. And I think Fauci's doing it because, well, he doesn't want to get, da, 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 you know how the, how the messaging is. Yep. Be honest with us. I, that's what that's what I say. I say yeah. that you, you just have to be as transparent about the facts as possible. And ultimately, you know, if we're perfectly honest, people are going to make the decision for themselves. And people are savvy and smart, and they can encounter this information. The last thing I wanted to say about this particular question is, um, you know, one of the things people tossed at me is, what evidence do you have that you no longer need a mask 14 days after this period of two vaccinations. Yeah. And my point is, what evidence do you have that it works? That, that it works? <laughs> I mean, you, you, we have a lot of um, different types of evidence, strands of evidence we draw upon in the current situation, in the pre-vaccine world. But in a post-vaccinated world where people have had 95... <laughs> No worries, man. You think I'm editing that out? You got another thing coming. <laughs> Stand right there. <laughs> oh boy. Do you need to get it? No. Okay. Yeah. I'll take it later. That's staying right in there. That's uh this yeah. is this is the classic. <laughs> this is why you leave your phone out. You know, I always tell people when I record my podcast, turn the phone off, turn the outlook off. Their damn outlook, yeah. Z Dog. Yeah. Non-stop. Non-stop. First of all, my heart breaks for you that you're even on Outlook because that means you're a, <laughs> somewhere Microsoft. I'm a cog in the machine, man. I'm a cog in the machine. I always knew you were part. You were the man. You were the man. I mean, if you have an Outlook account, you are the man. You are the yeah, man. You, you yeah. work for the man in some way. If you ever use Microsoft Teams, you are the man. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> so what were we saying? We're talking we were, about the vaccine. Yeah, we're, we're talking vaccine. about the mask. Yeah. yeah. And I guess my point is that like all medical interventions, in this case, you know, we don't know exactly the effect size. It's likely to be moderate uh, effect size. Um, and as you take your event rate and drop that to zero, as you lower um, the overall likelihood that you're carrying the, the virus and the overall likelihood that you have a case of COVID, um, the, the delta on wearing a, 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 a uh, having a restriction like a mask, the delta on not seeing your loved one, that's shrinking too. And at some point, you know, it's likely to confer very little additional safety. Um, and those are just sort of sort of general principles of, I think, medical reasoning. Um, so I put it all together and I'm like, you know, there's, uh, you know, I use this analogy of Chuck E. Cheese. I don't know if it's- uh, oh, Love me some Chuck E. Cheese, man. You. Yeah, it dates oh. us, right? It dates us It really us does. Bit. And I got to say, for some reason, I have this memory that the pizza was good. It's not. It's not good, yeah, dude. it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> it's not good pizza. But I remember it as the, 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 the pinnacle. Best, the, the pinnacle. Best. Like we're the going best. to Chuck E. Cheese. The pizza's so delicious. Melty cheese. <laughs> then you go there. It's like that soggy slice that you get at your <laughs> high school cafeteria. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so yes. tell me about Chuck E. Cheese. You didn't go there for the pizza. You went there for the fun for and the games. Fun. And when you played those games and you won, you got a thick stack of tickets. Heck yeah. And you took those tickets up to the front counter and the world was your oyster. You could pick, um, you know, a bouncy ball. You could pick a yo-yo. You know, I don't know what they had, but they had a little pipe. That was my Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> Central Valley. Central Valley. Um, you know, you get to decide what you cash in your your tickets for. And I use that as, an, as a sort of a playful analogy to point out that vaccination does give you something and you should be allowed some concession to do the things you want to do. And if we're perfectly honest, I think the average person doesn't really mind wearing the mask in the grocery store. Um, and in fact, I talk about the piece that I'm not really talking about that the grocery store is going to set their own rules anyway. Um, but the average person, what we're craving is what you're talking about. You want to see your 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 parents. The average person is craving human contact, and you're never going to get 100% safety. You never had 100% safety. You could have been hit in a car, uh, a car accident on your way to the Central Valley all these years. 100% safety is not what any of us crave. It's not what we seek. It's unattainable. Um, it doesn't exist. What we crave is reasonable safety. And I believe, um, and I make the case in the article, that the vaccine gives you reasonable safety to do something like that that you think is important. Yeah, and I think this word safety is important because I think what we're seeing here is this idea of safety creep, which we're gonna talk <laughs> about, I think, when we talk about Jonathan Haidt's book, The, the Coddling of the American Mind. This idea that we've <laughs> we've somehow obsessed as a society that we get a little safety and we're like, oh, we can have more, we can have more, we can have more. Now we can have perfect safety. We can yeah. save everybody from COVID. Yeah. We can reduce the risk to zero. And if we can't, we need to hide in our houses, triple bag our masks oh, yeah. and just rock back and forth while our parents die yeah. of neglect. Yeah. Of, uh, they die without seeing us because we weren't there because we, we're been, we've been terrified. And so, you know, we have to ultimately think reasonably. I like this idea of cashing in your Chuck E. Where a kid can be a kid, by the way. He can be a that kid. Was, that was the slogan. Yeah, remember. that slogan. And a Chuck E. Cheese. And, you know, so a kid should be able to take their tickets and go, okay, now I have a little immunity yes. ticket. Now, and also it's, if, if you're trying to do the best least harm public health wise, yes. wouldn't you want to tell people, hey, there's a reward for being vaccinated. Of course. It's not just being a nice guy. I want to talk about that in a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I call yeah. those the second order effects. But first I want yeah. to say that like, you know what? People are doing it. Like we, you have to live in a fantasy world to think people aren't already doing it. Doctors who are getting vaccinated are having people over to their house for dinner who are vaccinated. People are already doing it. There's nothing you can say that's going to stop people from making these kind of choices because these are natural human things. And you talk about safety. Um, what you what you what you're really nicely highlighting is that we are trying to minimize some types of risk, and there are all these other 
um, trade-offs that we're making, harms that we're not trying to minimize because we're ignoring them. Like what is the impact on your elderly parents have not seen their – you've never – you haven't gone and seen them and checked up on them. What is the impact to their well-being, their life um, all this time? And that is being lost from the discussion. And frankly, that's that's your decision to make. That's your parents' decision to make as, as you're going to make very shortly. Um, it's, it's no one else's decision to make once you're armed with the facts. Um, but then let's talk about the second order effects. So I call these, they're all second order thinking. Um, and I try not to engage in it too much, um, because I'm worried that I'm going to burn myself and like, I won't see something, but you know, people argue on the other side that, um, you know, if you start to tell people they can relax restrictions, maybe they'll slack too much. They won't take it seriously and all these things. So they have these kind of very fearful stories of what people will do. And I say, well, you know, maybe, but I trust people to uh, make smart decisions for themselves when they're empowered with the facts. You make another good argument, a second order argument, which is that if you really keep downplaying this vaccine as a path to normalcy, maybe you will um, discourage people from getting it. That's also potentially possible. I I don't know that's true or or not true, Um, but I'm just trying to, you know, put out the facts as I see them and let people decide. And I worry that the more we try to play those, if we say this and then they'll do this, and if we play this, then we do this, um, we're gonna get ourselves in trouble because that leads to shifting recommendations. And it seems like what's been happening from the beginning of the pandemic. And that's why people don't trust. That's why even vaccine hesitancy is so high. That's why, because we have all these shifting recommendations and people don't trust authorities to just say what's true (laughs) instead of say what they need to say to manipulate what Mm -hmm. they think is the outcome they want. And, And by the way, it's not nefarious. It's not like these guys are bad people. Not like Fauci's a bad guy. He's trying his best to do the best for the most people. It's just reasonable people can disagree with how to message that. And that's I think right. that's what you and I are saying. Yeah. I think, um, and that's a great example. You know, um, Anthony Fauci is somebody who I have a lot of respect for. I got his book on my bookshelf, you know, Harrison's. Harrison's, I, yeah. I have admired him for decades. I still think he's this phenomenal um, extemporaneous speaker. I love the accent. Um, <laughs> but he, he, he made two, I think, miscalculations. One in early March around mask messaging, which uh, still haunts us to this day and likely will haunt us this entire pandemic. There will be some faction of people uh, that will never embrace it because of the mixed messaging. Um, and the other mistake I think he made was in that recent New York Times article where he um, told the reporter, and I don't know why he told the reporter this, but he told the reporter when asked, why is the percent of people you say need to be vaccinated for herd immunity, it keeps creeping up in your public statements from 60, 65, 70, 70, 80, 85. Um, And he said, well, I checked the polls and see how many people are willing to get the vaccine. And I see that's going up. So I think I can push this number a little bit. And I was like, oh my God. I was like, well, one, I don't think you should be doing that. But two, if you are doing that, why the hell are you admitting that to a New York Times reporter? That was terrible. What are you doing? That was really bad. I mean, and again, 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 respect for the guy. Respect for the guy. I love the guy. Harrison's, like it's a gold standard. Gold standard. You know, I was on a call with Fauci years ago during Ebola. It was yeah. like a public call where like a few doctors were invited. And I was impressed with the guy's reasonableness. And so, but this this messaging is terrible because, you know, humans, we're already, and we're so divided, which we're gonna talk about why that yeah. is, but we're so divided and polarized. And then there's the political component. And there's the tribal badge component. And you throw all that in a mix with this pandemic. And what you have is just a disaster <laughs> of uh, harm caused by messaging problems yes. and reception. You said something that I think, People, a lot of people will disagree with, and I actually agree with it. When people have reasonable information and it's given in an appropriate context, they will make decisions that are best for them. I think they will. And I think you know what we've seen instead is people making decisions based on bad information or miscommunication. They're going and hanging out in big groups indoors when yes. we close restaurants in California right. outdoors. Um, and, and just stuff like that, you're like, ah, oh, 
if we just got the messaging right, you know? I mean, I guess the other challenge is it, this is a free society. And <clears throat> if what's the alternative to telling people the unvarnished truth? Uh, distorting it, lying, deceiving them. And 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 that is something that you, maybe you can do once, fool me once, shame on, uh, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Um, you don't get to do that over and over again. Um, there's a huge uh, loss of credibility that comes when people get the sense that you are distorting your messaging to get them to do something. I talk about it in this piece I wrote about Fauci, um, where if the moment I get the sense that he's willing to distort facts to get me to do something, he's done. He's done. Every, done. And everything he says from then on, I'm playing through my own mind, which is, okay, he's saying this, but maybe he's trying to get me to do something. So what might he really mean? And when I start playing that with somebody, trust is gone. Um, And I think trust is so important here. Um, The other thing that's interesting to me about this discussion is messaging. Um, I guess I would say I'm not the public health authority. I'm one professor with my own um, biases, my own habits of evidence and interpretation. Um, I have my own beliefs about how evidence should be interpreted and how um, science should be talked about. Um, Other people are free to have their own other views. Um, We're never all going to be able to agree. Hurting every doctor's messaging on Twitter is like hurting cats, you know? Um, And so then the question comes, what is the range of opinions we're allowed to have? And I favor quite broad ranges of opinions in a free society, broad discussions, um, as long as we agree to sort of rational basis of, of, of of discussion. And this is where your piece comes in as a great <laughs> illustration. So you put this thing out. Yeah. I read it with great interest and was like, oh, excellent. I, sometimes I feel like the emperor trying to pervert young Vinay <laughs> to the dark side of medical communications. I see this piece and I'm like, oh, he's very powerful with the force. I like this. Very persuasive. He will get hatred and the hatred will destroy him and then he will be mine. Um, and I'll but, join but, you here. Yeah. But it's amazing. So you immediately, you know, you got a bunch of people agreeing with you, especially in private, especially in private. Oh my God. I got like, uh, I don't know, maybe 100, 100 plus messages, uh, professors, epidemiologists, ID doctors, multiple ideas. I mean, to, even, to be honest with you, even before I put my piece out, I had it read by a lot of professors, yeah. infectious disease experts, people who are, uh, just to make sure, I'm not, I don't have any blind spots. You know? Right, sure. And That's very smart. To yeah. be perfectly honest, the person who disagreed and I, we both read each other's piece before they came out yeah. because we each made each other's piece stronger, even though we're arguing the different sides. Okay, so- That's that's beautiful. Right, right. Yeah. And, and, and that's, um, you know- a technique that a lot of people who deal with ideas do, which is you always want to hear about from the opinion of somebody who doesn't see things exactly the same or somebody who sees it mostly like you or, you know, things, shades like that. So I, I'd already had a great deal of opinions. And if we're perfectly honest, probably, you know, the ratio of positive to negative is 90 to 10. Yeah. It's mostly positive, but we can talk about the 10%. 10%. So <laughs> the 10% are using terms like you are dangerous. Now see that, yeah. I've always no. wanted to be D-Dog. <laughs> I mean, I can tell by the scruff that you want to be perceived to be. as edgy, slightly dangerous. As, yeah. uh, as a nerdy Indian kid growing up in uh, the Midwest, I uh, had never uh, been perceived as dangerous. Um, you know, I'd whip out my TI-89 calculator and who knows what trouble oh, I'd get myself man, into. Man, stay gold, <laughs> pony boy. Yeah, it, it's, 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 it's really true. So they called you dangerous. I would say- These are scientists. That's what. That's the yeah. key. So purportedly. Yeah. Purportedly. <laughs> purportedly. Um, they're scientists, but maybe it's their first rodeo of debate. Um, right. Because a lot of scientists have not been in the rodeo of debate. I've been in the debate rodeo a few times. Genome-driven oncology, I debated that on the center stage of some conferences. Cancer screening tests, a perennial debate. I've, I've debated in medicine 
for you know at least six, seven years now about yeah. a number of issues. I'm comfortable with debate um, on those stages. I know what wins the audience. You're not going to win the audience if you name call your opponent. If you grew up, yeah. you're not going to win. You're, you're going to look really foolish, and people are going to pull you aside and say, what are you doing? You're making a fool of yourself. You're only going to win if you really figure out the core premises to their argument, and you take the legs out of every one of those premises. And you know, in some of these debates, we've spent inordinate amount of time to try to do that. Um, and I do believe I've, I've won some of these debates over a long haul. But in this case, you post this article, you get this 10% of garbage. Of the 10% garbage, 90% of the 10% is nameless, faceless trolls who don't seem to subscribe to reason or evidence. They don't know anything about anything. And so it's easy to say. Non-playable characters. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Easy to say, be done with you. Um, I mean, you have nothing interesting to say. And really, I don't think you're persuading anybody. And I don't even know who you are. Um, but there's a few people who have um, some of the affiliations with uh, major centers. And, and they come out a little too hot. And they say things like, um, this article is dangerous or I even heard disinformation. I was like, disinformation? You can't point to a single thing incorrect in this article, and it's disinformation? Uh, disinformation, dangerous, that's not just if you disagree. I mean, you can't go all the way there. Um, and and I think it does a disservice to debate. Um, and if the real people who pay the price is not me. I'm, uh, I guess, uh, for better or worse, an early, mid-career academic. Uh, the people who pay the price are the people who are just starting there might be some junior person out there. They have some opinions about this controversy, and they see, uh, look, VP puts his opinion out there, and he's getting called dangerous. Well, then I don't want to put my opinion out there. And so we are not stifling me, perhaps, but stifling that person. And and that's who I really fear for. Yeah, and I think <laughs> you're, you're absolutely right. And I think what it is is it's, again, a function. I've been complaining about this for some time now that – the, the social media environment has created a zero-sum game where you're not scoring for truth, you're not debating for truth, you're debating for social points, for prestige within a tribe, and you stake your tribe out and then you just pound <laughs> ideologically on whatever yeah. that is. And so a free thinker like yourself who's willing to debate points, who's willing to listen to the other side and actually incorporate, that, that that's <clears throat> rare now because you, you won't do as well, even though you've done well because you've, again, transcended that, but I think the people that are trying to score points there on Twitter, and they, and they have legitimate disagreement with you, right? So they're, they're saying, no, I don't disagree with this. Okay, fine. But to, to say dangerous and to say disinformation is a direct ad hominem attack, really, yeah. because they're accusing a physician, a professor, and an academic of causing physical harm. <laughs> like like my goal is physical. Exactly. I mean, I, I guess the first thought is like, I was like, if you if you... If if you if you really believe that everyone who disagrees with you is ill motivated in the world, that's not cognitively, uh, psychologically, that's not a good way to be in the world. No. I mean, you will disagree with people thousands of times in your life, and if every one of them is a bad person, I mean, I'm really we're kind of already talking about the the coddling of the American mind. We're right. getting into the themes of this book. Yes, very prescient, very wise book about why we have reached the state we've reached, where um, it, debate, dialogue, discussion is being stifled, where people are taking extremely polarized positions, where everything is a matter of good and evil, the good guys, the bad guys. Um, these are very unhealthy ways of being in the world, and they are unfortunately very common. But I guess I wanted to say about this, I mean, if I were to do the justice to their side of the argument, I guess their side of the argument is all about um, – they would probably argue that it is theoretically possible 
that something bad could happen if these re- restrictions were to be relaxed. Right. Theoretically possible. Um, I think they, 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 they don't tend to quantify that because the more they quantify that, the absolute numbers are going to be so abysmally low that the average person watching the debate will be put off by that. So they want to leave, I think, that non not quantified but rather qualitative that you know the safest thing to do is all these additional precautions. Um, and I think they think that for you to prove – uh, for for you to say that we can get away with not doing them, um, the burden of proof is on you to just really show nothing bad will ever happen, and that will take you a long time. They're trying to transfer the burden of proof. Um, and and I guess what I want to say is I think the burden of proof is on you <laughs> to show that the restrictions still confer benefit. And I would tell you that all of the ways you can quantify the problem would suggest that it's unlikely to do so because the absolute numbers are really, really low. Um, so I think that's the crux of the academic debate. And again, this is risk perception. Risk perception, you ask a 1,000 people what they are willing to tolerate in terms of risk, it's all over the place. We have different risk thermostats. We are all wired differently. Um, and 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 you can't just do what the least risk-averse person thinks. Um, the other thing is we all have different amounts of social cravings. Some of us may desire to see our parents more than others. Um, how do you value that? Every one of us must reach our own sort of set point. I, I Sometimes I wonder if some of these guys that attack online are <clears throat> truly the introvert, a little bit on the spectrum-y kind of folks that are, which I give as a compliment, by the way, because- It's not bad. It's I just could, a different personality It's type. a different personality that-, that it's not important to them. It's just like, for me, I weigh risk, right? So when I get vaccinated, I'm gonna go see my parents because I've weighed that risk and the risk of not seeing them in, in case something were to happen, heaven forbid, versus the risk, the t- infinitesimal risk right. of them getting COVID, which right. I will feel terrible about, but of at course. the same time, I will say, you know what? I, I That was a risk that we all t- discussed. By the way, they're part of that calculation. It's not like I'm just gonna show up and be like, hey guys, I'm vaccinated, right. I think we're good, no mask, no. It'll be more complex than that, but it, it's understanding the risk. Like for example, young people under 24, they're 36 times more likely to die in a car accident than die of COVID. But for elders, it's twice as likely to die in a in COVID than a car accident. So then you weigh, you go, oh, all right, well, if car accident is the gold standard of risk, we do it every day. You know, the, the other analogy that comes to me is, I, I, I didn't even see it until this moment, but I'm a cancer doctor. Uh, we've given so many regimens that make people transiently neutropenic, or we do an autologous stem cell transplant or an allo transplant, and they have some functional immunity. And they always struggle with these decisions of, can I meet my grandson? Can I hug my grandchild? Can I see my family? Can I have a dinner party? Do I need to wear a mask? And we do so much counseling in this space where there is some risk, probably higher than the risk we're talking about with SARS-CoV-2 after vaccination and asymptomatic period. Um, and and we, we negotiate that. We realize that every person is different. People come in different uh, places on that. People need that contact more than others. Um, that that life is not this thing where we just keep our hearts beating for as long as possible. There are all these other things to factor. And so I guess I've been in this business for so long. I mean, this is my career, uh, my, uh, my professional career, negotiating these kinds of very difficult risk propositions. Um, and to be told categorically that my opinions on the topic are disinformation is disingenuous, it's anti-reason, it's illogical. And I, I don't see that coming from any sort of good place in somebody. I think I mean, the joke I made online was some of these people, I think they need a hug. Um, But the problem is even after vaccinated, they won't let me hug them. So So I don't know how they're going to get the hug, but but they need a hug. I mean, they need a hug. We all need a hug. They need a hug. I've seen it. There are many people that need a hug. Sometimes I need a hug. I need a hug too. I'm not saying it's not a bad thing. We all need a hug sometimes. We all need a hug. I mean, in the coddling of the American mind, he has these three great untruths that have become the common feeling now that might have generated a lot of the drama that we see uh, 
in in this space. And I think it, it might be worth just kind of going through some of those. I, I think one of them was was trust your feelings. Yes. Okay. All yeah. right. So I had to pull it up because yeah. you know it's like the first few chapters of this book. Okay. So we have to. Yeah. Do, yeah but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Here they are. Um, yeah. What doesn't kill you makes you weaker. Oh. Always trust your feelings. Yes. And life is a battle between good people and evil people. Brilliant. So Those are the three great untruths, great untruths. according to Height et al. So well, who's his co-author again? Greg Lukanoff. Lukanoff, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. he's um, somebody who has got some experience with cognitive behavioral therapy. Yes. So I guess this is a book that you turned me on to. I mean, people have been telling me about the book, but I think you were the person who pushed me over the top to read I kind of tied you down and was like, you have to you, read it. Every, read every it. time we talk, we Every get, time we yeah, talk, yeah, yeah. and 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 I, I owe you one because um, it was a transformative book for me in the sense that it articulated a lot of feelings that I've been having. And um, it opens with these this really great opening where where I think Greg Lukanoff admits that he has suffered from depression and he underwent cognitive behavioral therapy. And one of the things about cognitive behavioral therapy is that your internal monologue about the way you're experiencing the world is often drives you towards negative thoughts, um, bad feelings. And the whole point of the theory is that you need to train yourself not to go to those automatic negative instincts. And those instincts are, one, what doesn't kill you makes you weaker. The idea that something that challenges you, um, it's going to hurt you or leave long-term damage. He says, you, you don't always have to view the world that way. You can view the world as things that challenge you, make you stronger, more resilient, um, anti-fragile. Anti-fragile. As Taleb would say. Exactly. Always trust your feelings. This idea is the idea that when somebody says something, you may feel like, oh, that's personal, that's about me, um, that really is meant to hurt me, but they don't mean anything by, by it. They are just saying something. It wasn't about you. They didn't mean it that way. And CBT trains you to say, perhaps this is not about me personally. It's not meant to denigrate me. Um, and then the last thing, is life is a battle between good people and evil people. Just a classic mistake people make is thinking that they're the good guys, the bad guys, the good girls, the bad girls. Um, they're, they're people who are on the good side of the issue and people who are on the bad side of the issue, this splitting. Um, and he thinks that all of these are just unhelpful, unproductive, um, automatic negative thoughts. And the whole point of the, I think the, the first part of the book is to convince you that these manifest in these discussions in higher education some of the reason why we have difficulty in letting two professors of medicine discuss what should the messaging be around vaccination is that we're so quick to view one as hurting us, dangerous to us, threatening us. This is the good person. This is the bad person. Uh, but that's not true. We're both probably equally good and bad. We're not good. You know, we're not yeah. perfect people. Um, we just have different opinions on how this data should be translating into practice. I mean, and that's it. And I think all the, a lot of the, evil that we see now, evil, is stemming from these three great untruths, which are yeah. basically cognitive distortions. So uh, that which does not kill you make, makes you, that which does not kill you makes you weaker. It's a fascinating one because it comes to the sense of we're creating this fragile generation and we're fragilizing ourselves yes. because we're afraid of words, ideas that will hurt us, we need protection from. If J.K. Rowling says something that is controversial about trans people, then she needs to be silenced because words are violence. Right. That's one of the things that they talk about, which is um, is an idea, is a thought, is a word, a form of violence. And I think they're very careful to argue they do not want those two to be conflated. They don't want to be equalized. And I think they 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 say so because they believe that that um, uh, that 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 takes away something from real violence. Yeah. Like actually being a violent right. acts um, is diminished when you say everything is violent. And actually disinformation is diminished when you say Vinay Prasad, associate professor of epidemiology at the University of California, San Francisco is spreading disinformation. That 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 really takes something away from people who are actually making up nonsense. Right? Right? Like how can you compare, <laughs> know, right? how can I you know. compare a, a, a disagreement yeah. to somebody saying there's a cult of Satan worshiping <laughs> pedophiles yes. infiltrating government 
and the whole Q theory. I mean, that's disinformation. Right. What we're saying here is, no, these are just different ideas looking at the same data set and saying, well, this is how I interpret that based on my understanding of the science and my values, actually, and yes. my own biases, which you early on said, oh, these are my biases. This is a kind of, yeah, you, my, you my, yeah. yeah. I mean, my bias in this debate is, of course, I know what happens to medical interventions as event rates get lower. And that is that the interventions no longer confer the absolute benefits you think, of course, yep. and many oftentimes they confer no benefits at all. That's right. And that is my sort of core bias that comes from a lot of work in, in meta-research. Right, and in cancer research and, cancer and, research and drugs. And, 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 drug and you're, you're referring to tie back in just to make sure people understand, you're referring to this idea of continuing to use masks restrictions, yes. and restrictions after vaccination. Right, right. right. Because now the, the, the absolute benefit yes. of that mask is low. It may still have a high relative benefit, it, it may. If yeah. you compare two groups, you may say, well, it's 50% more likely that you're going to not transmit wearing I, a mask. I, yes. But what's the absolute? It's absolute. Yeah. But I would actually suspect that it's, it's even it, lower. Yeah. 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 I think it's got to be abysmally low. And, I agree. and to the point where, and when you factor in like real world compliance and real world mm -hmm. adherence, I think it's got to be zero. Yep. Yeah. The, um, but, and, and that comes from a lot of work on like, you know, we've studied the, the topography of medical research and how things flip flop and all this stuff for, for over, well over a decade. Medical now. reversals, exactly. which you wrote a whole book right. on. And, and, you know, the. Um... <laughs> Speaking of ways in which I'm not qualified to talk, which is another <laughs> another common thing. Which is right, like, what, what do they say? What do they say? It's not just me. I mean, yeah. I, I feel like I just on one day it happened to be me. But it's this is the new way in which you argue online, which is you know, Z Dog says something I don't like. Well, you know, he's not an expert. He's not a doctor. Oh, he is a doctor. Oh, well, he he never practiced medicine. Did you? Oh, you did practice. Oh, he, well, he was never a hospitalist for several. Years. Oh, he was. Oh, well, he was only on teaching services. Oh, no, he wasn't. Okay, well, uh, he's not an infectious disease doctor. I mean, they just keep making up some other thing and. Meanwhile, when they find the person who says the the stuff they like to hear, yeah. it's like, oh, inflate well, their credentials. Yeah, they're like, yeah. this person um, is a computer science major. Uh, well, they didn't quite finish, but they're an amateur expert. They're savant, really. I mean, it's like, how how do you not even see what you're doing? Which is, if you disagree with someone, they cannot have any credential yeah. that lends you to give credence to them. And if you agree with them, you'll take anything. This so is the fundamental poison of it, and I'll, yeah. I'll take it one step further and say that because humans evolved to focus, they have unconscious belief, and then they have conscious ways to argue those beliefs. Yes. They, when confronted with something that uh, offends that belief or goes against it, they will use their uh, higher faculties to do anything possible to defend the core. Of course. And that means picking fake wit fake experts, moving the goalposts, yeah. um, cherry picking data, all the other stuff that we do. And, we do. and the problem is it's fine, people do that, to do it unconsciously, to do it without a meta awareness of yourself. Yeah. That's it. So you and I have both done this. I'm sure you've done it, even though you're brilliant and all that. No, and I put I'm you on sure a pedestal. I'm guilty of it. <laughs> we, we all do it. I've done it. And when I see something that that contradicts it, I'm always trying to find the holes in the credibility of the person who said it. It's the same thing. But then I'll step back and go, look what I'm doing. What is it that I'm doing? Why is this? And sometimes it's a political thing where there's something politically offensive to me and I'm like, well, th this has got to be wrong. So therefore, let me find all the holes. What we need to be doing is going, oh, and that made me feel this way. That's interesting. All right, now I'm in danger of screwing this up. Let me see. Like when you talked about writing your piece, you floated that shit around. Oh, a lot. <laughs> you were like, 15, hey, my- 15 people read it before I even, you know, and, and that's the other thing that gets lost from this discussion is that um, I- I pick every word carefully, you know? Yeah, yeah, I'm not yeah. giving anyone anything and- You're the I, opposite of me. I know. Well, I'm just I, like, penis! Well, I, Why did you say I do that? a podcast where I don't pick every word carefully, but yeah. luckily nobody listens to that. 
<laughs> no one's listening to that. No one's listening to that. But when you write, you know, people are going to come after you. Um, and then I screen it with people. And and actually, there were some people, I, I don't want to name this person. Uh, this person was really thoughtful. And this person said in the first draft, you know, um, you're focusing too much on masks. That's not really the concession people want. And I slept on it. And I woke up. And I was like, my God, this person is totally right. They, they want the Chuck E. Cheese tickets. And that's the metaphor, right? You know, so that's how uh, good ideas work out. Um, it's not that this person said, you're guilty of disinformation. You're not an expert, you know. But I wanted to say one thing about the coddling of American mind, yeah, yeah. which is the thing I've been meaning to tell you, um, which is I, I thought it was a splendid book. And it's a really good book because it illustrates, I think, where we are in a society and how um, more than the issues we disagree with about, the ways in which we allow disagreement and how we handle that is sort of um, something that we really need to solve or we're going to have some deep problems. The one thing in the book that I that I feel differently than the authors is the author spent a lot of time to show why this is generational, why this is worse in teenagers or young adults because of how parenting has changed. And I guess I agree with their criticism of the parenting, the safetyism culture. I agree that it is prevalent in those age groups. But the thing I think differently is that I think everyone is suffering from these problems in our society. And I think SARS-CoV-2 unmasked it, that there are 70-year-old professors, 60-year-old um, professors, 50-year-old um, professionals. They're all falling into the same cognitive errors. They're all getting angry. They're all tribal. Um, in fact, I'll give you one example of what somebody said that I thought was just really shameful. And I'll say shameful. Um, somebody said something like, it isn't a bad virus that's killing people. It's bad behavior. And I thought to myself, like, <laughs> no, it's a, it's, it's a virus it's that's a killing virus. people. Yeah. It's a virus. It's yeah. not people. You're now moralizing about people's actions. You really. And, yeah. And also it's a like- victim shaming kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, look, I'm a political liberal. I'm in, I've been a liberal for a long time. Um, this is not something we do. We don't go to people who suffer from drug addiction and blame them. We don't go to people who have sexually transmitted illnesses and blame them. In fact, we've gone through great pains to appreciate that those strategies do not help. In fact, they hinder our progress and that we need to do harm reduction, meet people where they are, move people forward, empower them, realize that people are sometimes a product of systems. Um, they're the product of circumstance. They don't get to make all the choices in our lives. We're, we're lucky to be born, you know, some of us in sheltered existences. Um, and for this person to say that, like, when many people who are maybe getting COVID are getting it because they have to be um, picking fruit in the in the fields of California and they get SARS-CoV-2 because of the housing conditions there. Uh, so that's bad behavior. It's not a bad virus. I mean, this is it's inhuman to say these sorts of horrible things. It's inhuman. And what's interesting is an interesting cognitive error on the left yes. because the left is supposed to value this idea that systems thinking and individual responsibility <laughs> sometimes isn't the best route. And it's more conservatives that say, you know, you need to step up and take accountability for your shit. And, and so it's funny because now they're saying, well, you're killing grandma by yes. not wearing your mask. Okay, that's the opposite of harm reduction because again, if you're if, if the person's belief structure is that this thing is an affront and you're attacking it directly, they're gonna double down. You're not you're not gonna and we've already expended all the capital, you know, on on the public health messaging early on. We've talked about that before. It's like you keep saying the flip-flopping and doing this and changing the messaging and changing the goalposts. What are people going to do? They're just going to throw up their hands. Like with Fauci, like you said, they're just going to say, well, now, now I'm done with this. I mean, they're liberals, like they're liberals, and I'm a liberal. They're liberals who say things like, um, you know, when somebody commits a murder, um, they're like, don't view this person 
as a bad person. This is a person that's a product of their upbringing. They grew up in a tough childhood. Um, they, they grew up exposed to a lot of unsavory elements. The schools didn't provide for them. They had no safety net. Um, their parents uh, struggled with alcohol, depression, and drugs. Um, and they were brought into a gang because that was the only sense of community they had. They had to be in the gang to survive, and then they eventually committed a murder. We should have some sympathy for those person. In, in addition to acknowledging that the wrongdoing they did, we should rehabilitate these people. We should try to help this community. Um, but that entire line of thinking is gone for SARS-CoV-2 because it's just bad people and they're bad behavior and, and not the bad virus. And I actually think we don't extend that same courtesy to, I think, I mean, I'm willing to say this, that like there are some people who don't believe that SARS-CoV-2 is a virus or whatever, you know, they're right. totally so, crazy. Total hoax, yeah. And they don't want to wear the mask. And I disagree with that view. I'll say mm -hmm. that, you know, it's a, it's a real virus and you probably should do it, especially yep. if you haven't been vaccinated. Um, um, but they're a product of their upbringing too. Absolutely. They, they were born in a county that may have been blighted because the industry moved away. Uh, their parents may not have had a lot of opportunities. They may not have gone to uh, great schools. They may not have had a lot of upward mobility. Um, then finally, this guy comes along and he says, you know, here's the problem in society. It's the other. It's the other people coming in. They're taking your jobs. They're robbing you of this. Um, this person is also a product of where they grew up and this sort of cult of thinking. And yeah, we can say like, it would be nice if they would do these things and, and heed the importance of the virus. But we shouldn't also forget that there are a lot of systemic failures that led this person to where they are in this moment. And maybe blaming them and shaming them and pointing at them and hating them, maybe that's not the solution. Maybe the solution is trying to help these people um, have an education system where they don't feel pushed and marginalized and they don't look for a con man to come and sell them a fairy tale, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I'll even take it a step further and say yeah. there are a lot of smart very educated people who have some of those sentiments. And I think in that case, you can kind of look at the root and go, well, there's a deep distrust because of some of the things in coddling in the American mind, the stifling of speech, the idea that this, this kind of changing, shifting information, the fact that maybe they have an economic stake in this and it's hurt them very deeply. And so to defend that, they will say, well, maybe this thing isn't even real because I don't know anybody who's died of it or whatever it is. Right. And you have to, This is, and I've said this early on, I go, people who think it's a hoax, you're not crazy. You are just behaving exactly as you should given the data set that you have and your everything else, everything that led you to that point. Here's what I would say to try to convince you that it isn't a hoax right. while still understanding the moral palette that you come from that says, you know, like he talks about in the book, this, 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 these moral taste buds and Elfin and Ryder and these analogies that Height uses. Um, by acknowledging that, you can then actually come to some understanding, even if you still disagree, without villainizing. Or the worst is this kind of elite thing that you and I probably tend to do it too. It's where you know we're hyper educated and all that. So we're like, well, you know, these people just don't know. It's just they're not educated, and it's like, well, but if you were molecule for molecule them, you would behave exactly the same way. And and again, there is a certain component of I hate the word privilege, but there's a component of like we got lucky and we're able to have this education. So now to then go, well, you're just stupid, man. Like your behavior's bad. You're killing grandma. Why are people so dumb? That's just not. First of all, it's not helpful. Second of all, it's not true. Yeah. It's so not true. it's very hard, man. And and I think that's the problem, especially now in our polarized, you know, black and white. That that was the other one. There's a world is is split between good and bad people. Exactly. Yes. How can you even? I mean, you're going to say, so 50% of the people who voted for someone you don't agree with, whoever it is, are evil people. That's what you're implying. That's just not it's true. A cognitive distortion. It's a cognitive yeah. distortion. Yeah. 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 Um, no, I mean, I, th I think, I think one of, the, I mean, one of the things that I, somebody told me recently, listened to my podcast and this person pointed out, um, you're much harder with people who mostly agree with you 
than you are with people who really disagree with you. And I thought about it for a day or two. You I, specifically? Yeah, me specifically on my podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's true. Of course it's true. And I was like, there's, there's a reason why it's true. It's like, like, the, like the people who are close in agreement to me, but we still have some disagreements. I'm hard on them because I, I think that those are holding our cause back, that they're um, perseverating on bad people and their bad behavior is preventing us from really making substantive progress on on broader socioeconomic issues, on broader issues in medicine. Um, that you're not going to win people by finding somebody who said some view that you find offensive or hostile and just hanging them in the town square. I'm critical of that because I think we're not we're not getting people in our tent that way. We we're scaring people away from our cause, from our beliefs. And if we want to build an inclusive um, and 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 successful. Uh, view and coalition, I think, on the progressive left, uh, we have to be more accommodating and tolerant and and kinder uh, to people who have different points of view. And I think in this case, I said so many times on Twitter, and some people got mad at me for saying that I've never seen people on the progressive left, left shame other people for their behavior, for natural human behavior, to want to see loved ones, want to go on dates, want to eat with friends. I've never seen shame like this on the progressive left my entire life. And I thought it was antithetical to the progressive left, and yet we find ourselves in this moment. And I think anxiety, fear, um, and and being alone and isolated and needing a hug mm. uh, are reasons why we we sink to these sort of base instincts. I, th I think you're right. And you know, coming from this like alt-middle perspective yeah. that, I, that I'm sitting in, uh, the people more on the right have a very enhanced sense of disgust actually. So that it's like a sanctity degradation moral palette and they feel disgust and they've done surveys about this. People with more conservative views tend to feel they have a lower threshold for disgust. Now imagine you're watching someone on the left saying, you know, you can't see your mom and you got to put this thing on your face before you go on your trail hiking. Yes, right. We're going to close the playgrounds things, yes. and the schools. Right. I mean, think how that, if, if your sanctity is based on some of those things, you're going to feel an overwhelming sense of disgust and you're going to feel disgust at the way it's framed too. So you're not influencing anybody on the right. Not influencing. And and nobody's coming together over that. And then it just generates more polarity. Uh, so I, 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 I like that, that you're actually disagreeing with people that are more on your side. And, and I find myself disagreeing with both sides more yes. than anything, but also agreeing with aspects and going, ah, you know, there's, well, but, yeah. But both of us are serving the same purpose, which is that we're trying to bring people together. That's to right. Say, right. Right. All right, the, the next thing I want to talk to you about um, before our time runs out, the schools. Yeah. It's a fiasco, man. It's a disaster. It's a disaster. And, yeah. and I guess I would say, like, look, uh, you know, I, 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 rem I, I had a position of neutrality, like July, August, and then I read, like, you know, 40 academic papers, 50 academic papers, maybe 100 academic papers, and I spent, like, 12 hours on my podcast interviewing experts um, from people who study um, school policy, the impact of schools on, on kids' livelihood, longevity, people who study viral transmission, what we know about propagation in schools, whether or not schools are driver, um, which studies are the robust studies and which studies have some holes in it. Um, and when you put all this information together, um, and, and then the reality of where we are in America, um, where there are schools that are open, there are schools that are closed, it has nothing to do with any property of the virus, doesn't have to do with the, the case rate, doesn't have to do with test positivity, it has to do with whether or not it's private, more likely to be open, than public, more likely to be closed, whether or not it's in a district that voted Republican, more likely to be open, or Democrat, more likely to be closed. This makes no sense. Um, when you look at the trade-off of schools, I think um, the risk to children is Extremely, extremely low. We had the Swedish study 
research letter in the New England Journal of Medicine, it looked at 1.95 million kids who were in school from March until June. And in this cohort of kids, 1.9 million, 1.95 million kids, 15 required ICU care, which is about one in 130,000. Zero kids died from SARS-CoV-2 mm. at a time of transmission. Mm. Uh, this is when they didn't close schools. Um, teachers, um, um, uh, they had no higher rate of, of being severe uh, SARS-CoV-2 than people who had different occupations in this Swedish data set. So there was no increased risk to teachers in this in this time period. And again, this is they didn't wear masks. They they weren't doing much of in terms of mitigation. Mm. Um, we have data from North Carolina, which looked at the North Carolina experience. This was at a time where the, the, the case rate in North Carolina was brisk, one to two per thousand. Uh, that's a brisk case rate. That's 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 transmission. Um, and yet they were only able to document something like 70 cases in schools. Um, when if you assume that case rate and extrapolated it to the population in schools, you would have expected about 800 cases. Um, so schools do not appear to be a big driver. And then there's a German study that I won't bore you with, but it took advantage of um, a fact that in Germany, they have pre-specified vacation, summer vacation, and they're staggered. So you can separate when schools were opened from when interventions took place in the country. And this beautiful quasi-experimental study suggests no increased transmission from uh, school opening um, and and no reduction in transmission from school closing. So so you, you, you if you look at this from just a scientific standpoint, as if this were a big mass, massive social study, yes. you would say the number needed to treat mm. to save a life in school by closing schools is a probably 100,000. Um, well, since not maybe a, for kids, probably maybe we're talking about a million dollar, a million club, a million people have to be out of school. A million people yeah. have to be out of school to save one child. And even that is probably overestimating. Yeah. The number needed to harm uh, now we can talk about in that, terms yeah. of missing lunches in terms of domestic or yes. child abuse at yes. home untreated in terms of destroying their economic future and therefore their lifespan the number needed to harm is probably much much smaller it's, it's a order of magnitude more harms than than benefits from this closure um and that and that's the way i come to it and those harms are not distributed equally i've seen some people say like oh um, my kids are are doing fine. I was like, you're a doctor and a professor yeah. and yeah. you have two doctorates. Yeah. Of course, your kids are doing fine. And to be honest, some people say even with two doctorates, my kids are not doing fine, yeah. let alone, what about somebody whose mom has to go to the grocery store? Who's watching the six-year-old kids? Some of them are being left alone at home. Yep. What about, uh, there are three million kids no one has spoken with since March. What about sexual abuse? What about um, physical abuse? Uh, there's a story that came out of Orlando. Orlando has um, in-person restaurants. They brought some kid in. Uh, the kid has bruised on the arms oh, and the I parents didn't it. yeah the parents didn't let the kid eat they only caught the child abuse because they have oh, in-person restaurants in orlando that wouldn't have been caught in the bay area because we don't have in-person restaurants this kid is lost um i think when you look at this transaction that being made the sacrifice that we are taking from these kids for a theoretical and uncertain benefit to other people uh, it is a horrendous sacrifice it is a horrendous trade-off um and and I think one of the biggest reasons why people do not feel differently about this, I've said on my in Twitter that this is going to be the Iraq war. Right now, people are saying it's fine to close schools. It's okay. I don't know. I don't feel strongly about it. Um, that's how people have said about the Iraq war. Maybe they have weapons of mass destruction. Maybe we should go in there. Uh, Ten years later, how do they feel about the Iraq war? It was the biggest mistake, mm. universal sentiment. The moment the stories come out, you know, I, I believe that there's going to be a 60 Minutes episode. On the 60 Minutes episode, they're going to get four kids. Only, it only has to be four. 
four kids just going to tell what happened to them. Mm. No one, and one of them is going to say something like, you know, nobody came to help me. Yeah. Um, and, and the public sentiment will shift on a dime. They'll say, why did we do this? Why did we close schools? Why did we close schools only in democratic strongholds? Why did we only close public schools for the poor kids and kept the private schools for the rich kids? Why did we do this? When places in the Bay Area, when there were no test positivity in the summer, we still closed schools that, in September. Why? That, that, you know, <laughs> and, and the thing is that to keep the private schools open, these are the, exactly the zoomocracy that can yes. handle this. Like, you know, my kids are doing okay, but I still put them, they're in public school, so they're at home because it's the Bay Area and everything's closed and it's been closed since March. They have not stepped foot in a classroom since March. The only socialization they get to have is going to their ninja warrior camp mm -hmm. where now they make them wear masks and everything and they, they come back lit up and glowing about it because that, that that's what kids need, yeah. right? No, the teachers are safe, they're wearing their stuff. It, but but the, the, this idea that in California, for example, liberal stronghold, right? We're supposed to be this progressive beacon for the world. We were so aggressive early on when we didn't know, and then we never really relented. People stopped even trying. They're like, you know what? This is never gonna stop. Newsom's at the French Laundry having his thing. The rich people do whatever they want. I still have to go to work. Let's just go. I'm gonna see some friends. We're gonna go to Thanksgiving. We're gonna do this. And now we have some of the highest numbers in the country and very comparable in to- Southern, In Southern California. In Southern, yes. ca okay. in Southern okay. Cali, yes. right, right. What's different about the Bay? you think? I guess I would say, I, I think the full story about Southern California has not yet been reported. I've looked at some of the demographic data and among hospitalized patients, um, I saw something like 70% were Hispanic. Um, I think we, maybe it is, we will learn more about what's going on in Southern California and what exactly tipped it over. In the Bay, it's a place of um, opulence. It's a place of wealth. People can sequester and cloister themselves away. Um, there are probably many people who haven't had much contact with other people and they can, they have yards and space and can get food delivered by Uber Eats. And, and I think that's probably, to some degree, we have a, a we have a high workforce where they can work completely from home. Right, right. Well, you know, um, what's funny yeah. is that in Marin County, yeah. one of the most affluent places on the planet, there's a working class uh, Hispanic population. Yeah. They were getting COVID all over the and place. And I wonder what's going on in Southern California, that it has to do with maybe um, food pickers in the Central Valley, right. maybe some of these occupations that we didn't protect. You know, for a progressive system, lockdown, uh, where, where is the where's the resources you're providing for people right. who are who need resources? But just one, one more thing to hammer on the schools. Every 70-degree day in California that schools are closed and not outside – uh, is an embarrassment. You <laughs> I know? agree. Yeah, this seventy-degree sunny day. Harness the global warming. Harness yeah. this beautiful weather. Yeah. Um, this this school's transaction, I think, is only because of um, moral availability. The availability of SARS-CoV-2 deaths, COVID-19 deaths, is always available. It's at the top of the New York Times webpage, and that ticker goes up every day. And God damn it, I want that number to come down. I don't want that number to be that high. It's outrageous. But where is the ticker up there with kids who are abused, with kids who are falling grades, with kids who will never um, have, uh, never be able to be an engineer or a doctor or a lawyer because they have fallen back too much, with kids who are going to be teen pregnant, with kids who are going to get shot? Um, where are the counters for that? All the harms. The, the, there is no m saliency of those of those harms. And if those tugged on your heart the same way, everyone would flip. And it astonishes me that my friends, my progressive friends, will not budge on this issue, even though Europe is the example. In Europe, they bend over backwards to get the schools open. They do anything to open schools. They're back open in Sweden. They're back open in Denmark. Even when B.1.1.7 is exploding, they say, we'll suspend school, but very briefly. And the moment we can turn this around, we're going to get these schools back open. We don't have that attitude here. Um, I think 
I don't know what to, what's going to happen. You, you kind of nailed the sentiment yeah. when you said the ticker issue because yes. we empathize with certain things, but it's very narrow. Our focus of empathy is narrow. We have to feel it. You can feel the, the death scenario. You can fear, and yeah. then you okay, I'm not going to school. Ah, but then, like you said, when they have that 60 Minutes episode five years yes. from now, and it's these kids sitting there, yeah. and you're just going, oh, what did we do? Yeah. Then you'll feel it, and it's too late. It's too late. They need to feel it now. Need Why can't feel we feel it? Now. Because where are the stories? Yeah, they're hidden. They're, they're hidden. hidden. They're, they're all. Hidden. It's yes. all seething under the surface, and the mental illness, and the future substance abuse, and the economic travesty that rich the rich are getting richer. Talk yes. about progressive values. California billionaires have been minting money during the pandemic, and it's led to a budget like a surplus of money, which they ought to be giving to people who pick the food. <laughs> See, dog. Every time I look at my um, my retirement account, you know, I didn't create it, but it's, it's, I had, it worked at you know, university and they put it all in this, you know, some retirement fund and it's exploding. The yeah. stock market exploding. Stock market blowing up. It's, it's, it's disgusting. It's, it's really ill. Yeah. It's, it's disgusting. We're living in a time where people are suffering more than they've ever suffered. And if you have money, you're, you're getting richer than you've ever been. Yeah. Um, and that is a, a deep poison. And it, it's, you take away schools, you take away upward mobility, you get the rich richer and the poor poorer. It is a volatile situation. I think the next 10 years are going to be highly volatile, politically volatile. Um, I, I, I literally think that, um, you know, people were easy to demonize. John Yonides, of course, you know, he's he's Mr. Satan. He's he's Mr. Evil. Uh, his original stat article, um, you know, uh, he talked a lot about how we don't have evidence to know about SARS-CoV-2, but they should be spot checks and all these things. Um, he got a lot of flack for it. One of the throwaway lines in his sentence, one of the throwaway sentences in his article was something like, um, if you institute these restrictions, um, you don't know what will come. There will be a civil unrest, instability, threats to democracy. Um, I, I, It was a throwaway line. It was a throwaway line. He yeah. might be. He might be. Yeah. Um, I worry about that he might it's be. It's already and, happened a little yeah. bit. I mean, we've seen some, a lot of I mean, anxiety. Do, 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 you think, do you think the Capitol riots had some component of people are just fed up? I think. I mean, also, and craziness. And, but yeah. and, and um, they have somebody who's feeding them disinformation right, 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 right. And, and lit a fuse. Yeah, exactly. Um, they have an agitator. Right. Um, but the agitator himself is a symptom of a deeper disease. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, we should have- to get a political scientist to talk you about. Really should when, when income and wealth inequality is so absolute. These are the preconditions for these kinds of people. It's amazing because we did elect a guy who is, uh, by on paper, anyways, or at least in theory, very rich. And that's uncertain, but yes, that's uncertain, right? <laughs> right he's the, paper, what yeah, a yeah. poor person thinks a rich person should yes, be. Right. Yes, yes. And he's saying, "I'm going to help you yeah. to attain this." Now that we should have love for the people who are moved by that because they are the ones who are suffering in this economy. You know, the elite can sit here and go, I don't understand Trump, I don't get it at all, minting cash and the retirement and actually, you know, all of Trump's cheerleading for the stock market actually probably does pump yes. it up and they're benefiting from it. It's like, I, I would say that, um, and I think there are a lot of pundits who say this, you can hate a politician all you want, but don't hate everyone who follows him. Yeah. You need to win their hearts. Yeah, yeah. If you want to do good in this world, you need to win their hearts. And if you hate everybody who follows somebody, somebody can be followed by some bad people, but no politician is followed by everybody who follows that politician is bad. That's just not possible. There are too many good people in America. And the majority of Americans are good people. You got to win their opinion. If you the majority win, of Americans you know. are good people. I would agree with that. Yes. I would say the vast the majority. The vast majority. The vast majority. Vast majority. Yeah, and, 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 and that's why I think, I think honestly, I think, 
folks on the right get very hurt when yes. they see signs of hypocrisy, like, oh, you know, the Capitol riot guys were treated this way in terms of like everybody's outrage, but then people were burning their own communities and the police were standing by and no one was saying anything. It wasn't okay to say anything because then you're not for, you know, racial justice. And and we should be able to talk about these issues, right? We can't do it. Um, man, I, we did a thing today, you and I. Talked about a lot of things. We talked about a lot of things. Was there anything else on your... Gosh, I mean, no. My two my two big things are um, the schools, yeah. which I think I'm people are wrong about. I'm with you, um, and I and I say that as a policy person who spends a lot of time thinking about complex trade offs. Uh, and then my other big thing is that um, after two doses of vaccines and 14 days asymptomatic, yeah. Yeah. you're gonna. People are going to be people, man. They're going to be Let people. And and you can say whatever you want to say, but I know what people are really going to do because people have already called me and told me what they're doing. Dude, I, I, that's something I wanted to say when you brought it up initially, and I'll, it's a good way to end. If you think that all these virtue signaling people on Twitter <laughs> are behaving the way they're telling people to behave with their mask avatar and their <laughs> Vinay wear a damn mask prasad, uh, <laughs> that's not you, but you know, with you like me. five yeah. pronouns to yeah, show that they yeah. care about people they know nothing about and all of that. If you think that they're not going and having social events and getting vaccinated and taking off their mask and doing all that, you're crazy because that's what they're doing. And if we can just be honest about that, yeah. then maybe we can start to come together on this thing. So I, I, I'm with you, man. Um, <laughs> we did a thing, guys. Okay, so here's the thing. It's good to talk. It always is good, man. Yeah. Uh, so Vinay has, he writes in MedPage today. He has Plenary Session, which is his podcast, which is fantastic. Um, if you really want to go deep and you want to hear him completely unfiltered, he's unfiltered now. But it's the Donnie Darko of podcasts. It's, it's, got <laughs> oh a, it's a cult classic, a cult classic. <laughs> oh my God, what a great analogy. Oh, what a, what a, a great movie. Great movie. Great movie great for movie. people who get it. I mean, yeah. most people will just go, huh? They'll say the Chuck E. Cheese? What the hell Chuck E. Cheese? What's he talking about? What is he, a thousand years old? You're 10 years younger than me. That's a sad thing. Um, if you guys like what we do and you want to overthrow this social media hegemony, um, come follow us in these supporter groups because they're sort of closed groups. People have skin in the game. Locals.com is one of my favorites now because it's completely off the social media like scoring points game. People just have nice discourse and it helps support the show so we don't have to go all commercial and do stupid stuff, which we don't want to do ever again. So love you guys. Hit share and we out. Peace. Thanks for night. Hey, it's Dr. Z. Thanks for getting through the whole episode. That's a huge accomplishment. <laughs> and so at this point, I just got to ask you for a few favors because it just helps us so much if you leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe. It, it just really helps the algorithm to get this message out to others. The second thing is email me, hello at zdogmd.com. I get all these emails personally. I can't respond to them all, but I need to hear your voice because especially on podcast, we don't have a comment section. And I want to hear how this episode affected you, what you'd like to hear in the future, what you think we got wrong, what we think we got right, anything, anything, or just say hi. So that's really powerful. And the third thing is financially, it helps us a lot to support the show in any way you can. And if you go to zdogmd.com forward slash supporters, you can join our supporter tribe on your favorite platform, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, wherever. What that will get you on those platforms is live shows with me that are exclusive for supporters and access to our Zoom meetings where we talk about awakening realization and we share with each other our own experience. It's a powerful group effect. It's a community, really. And we support and love each other and share, again, through our own experience, how we're waking up. So, and that that ripples out into systems, into transforming healthcare and education and government. 
So it really starts with us. So join us there if you can. Again, zdogmd.com forward slash supporters. And I'm so grateful to have you with us.